0: Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ was born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever was born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? This is he who came by the water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he has born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has a testimony in himself. Whosoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this <clears throat> life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. to those who commit sin that uh, does not lead to death. There is, a sin that, um, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols.
1: So we are in the the final week of our series uh, titled Love One Another. And throughout this whole series... Uh, what the theme has really been is this theme on on love and genuine love. And what we've talked about is walking in Christ Jesus in relationship with God the Father. And we've talked about how we need to love one another, how that's shown the evidence of that, the action of that, and, and how through that we, we see how God loves us through Jesus, how he has genuine active, fierce love for us. And, and also last week, we really covered the importance of healthy doctrine and how there's some, some kind of false teachers there and, and, and some false doctrines and how we can know God's true spirit, how we can know God truly. And so as we've talked through this series, remember what, what I've continued to say also is that the writer of the gospel letter of John was also the same writer of 1 John. But there was really a different message um, to the gospel letter and the pastoral letter of his epistle of 1 John. And so the two big differences, let me give them to you right here, is that John wrote his gospel letter, what he says in uh, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, so that one might have eternal life. And so he's talking to a, a non-believing crowd who didn't know Jesus yet. And so when John writes his his pastoral letter to the church he's writing to them so that they would know that they have that they would have confidence so in this final chapter of chapter 5 what John is saying here as he concludes this this book and this letter he's writing to believers to give them eternal confidence and so he's really writing to the church there's there's throughout Scripture, what we see in the New Testament is there are issues in the church, and there's oftentimes where the apostles were writing saying, here's a concern, let's watch out for this. But John's really writing to the believers to encourage them, to equip them. And in the last chapter what he really goes after is is sharing with them really that they have confidence in Christ Jesus. So he's really sharing with them, here's the importance of the eternal confidence. And so he's saying, here's what it means to be born again. Here's the importance of that, the application of that. And there's a big difference than just saying, you know, I kind of know Jesus. That's kind of more insurance. And so there's a big difference between assurance and insurance. Okay? Okay. So assurance is the confidence that John is sharing. He's not just saying, hey, here's your insurance, just in case when you die, you don't go down, you go up. He's saying you have assurance, full confidence. And so the core theme, what John is saying here in the final chapter, is here's how we've overcome the world. Here's the confidence I want to share with you, how we've overcome, which really the, the, the truth of it is, it, it's not really us at all. We haven't overcome the world in any way, nor can we ever Because our confidence, our assurance, and our hope of overcoming the world is really through Jesus. It's really because of Jesus, it's through Jesus. And we know this because John wrote this down, what Jesus was saying in his gospel letter. And so in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you, I've said all of these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, you will have trials, you will have struggles, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So as we look at the context of how we have overcome the world, let me just remind you that, that really it's not us, okay? So, so we have partnership, we have, son, we have sonship, daughtership, we have citizenship with Christ Jesus because he overcame the world. And so John tells us we've overcome the world and we know and we've been well informed that it's really in Christ that we've overcome. It's not us, but it's Christ in us that we are able to overcome the world. And he reminds us of this in three ways. If you're taking notes, write this down. That we have overcome the world by new birth in Christ. New birth in Christ. And what John tells us is that without faith in Jesus, As the Christ, the Son of God who came in the flesh, we cannot be born of God. It it has to be through Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, like we talked about last week. He is the only way. And the phrase born again literally means born from above. And so new birth, being born again, is an act of God where eternal life is imparted to the person who believes. And so John, in his gospel letter of chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, when he first starts off, he indicates this, of being born again, that it also carries the idea of becoming children of God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, the importance of knowing that we are children of God, how we live that out, and through this, how we can trust in the name of Jesus and this language of being born again, this new birth in Christ, John uses this language in a conversation. He takes it from a conversation between Jesus and a religious leader, leader named Nicodemus. We see this in John chapter 3. This is who Jesus gives John 3.16 to, the message of salvation, the message of the gospel. But in verse 3, Jesus answered him in conversation with Nicodemus. He says, truly. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, comes through new birth, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we have to enter into a new life, into a new birth in Christ. And so Nicodemus, as he approaches Jesus, he's not a follower of Jesus yet in this time. So he had a real need, as we all do. He had This real issue and the need for change And he had the need for really a heart change, which means really he needed spiritual transformation. So the new life that he needed, the new birth that he needed was spiritual transformation. And that begins when we choose to believe in Christ Jesus. When we choose to make him our all, when we choose to make him the Lord of our life. And what we covered in the first week of this series is that we need Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, as we've shared over this series, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so as we come before God... And confess with our mouth saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe what he's done for me. I believe that he is living and active through his people. Then we become born again. We have a new birth in Christ. But let me just really clarify this. What Jesus is really after as well with Nicodemus is that there is no belief without following. Because the context of this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is that Nicodemus sheepishly comes to him at night. So he's, he's going, I want to know more about this. I want to, I want to believe, but I, I don't know if I want to follow. And so Jesus is really sharing throughout John chapter 3. What he shares with Nicodemus is, listen, it, there is not just believing. You have to follow as well. Because you can believe in something and not be active in it. And so Jesus is saying, there's no belief without also following. So we don't just choose a new life and just go, oh, I'm, I'm good. Check. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. We don't just do that, but we have to go and live it. We have to be active in it, meaning we overcome first by believing and then by living. And so we overcome the world by living in the new life. By living in the new life. And when we become new in Christ, I think this is really important for us, as we struggle through our relationship with Jesus, not because of who he is, but because of who we are, and there's a working out process there. When we become new in Christ, when we receive new life, new birth, the internal part is immediate. We're reconciled to our relationship with God. When we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that is immediate. We're in relationship with God. But the, internal, the external part is over time. Because when people become believers, there's still those bad habits. There's still those things of the world that are not of God. And when you first experience freedom in Christ, what you realize is, there's stuff in my life that's contradicting Christ. I mean, maybe for you, think back to that moment when you first became a believer. Just the incredible power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Remember the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And as it works in us, we're going, man, I want to I do things different. I want to follow Christ fully. I want to remove things from my life to better follow him. And there becomes this joy of saying, not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. But this is a process. Let's not forget this, church. This isn't overnight. This is why we regard no one according to the flesh. Because are we going to struggle? Are we going to fail at times? Absolutely. That's why Jesus is our perfect advocate. And so in the process of this, it doesn't happen overnight. It's not something that just happens quickly, but little by little, it's us surrendering all that we are to all that God is. Taking all that we are and everything, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, the humanness, and, and just surrendering it to God. That's what worship is. That's, that's not, that goes beyond singing songs this morning together. That is our lifestyle of worship, just continually surrendering all that we are. Because when we follow Jesus, it's a constant surrender. When we choose to follow Jesus and live the new life in Jesus... We're removing our our own thinking. It's a removal. It's a surrender of our thinking. It's us laying before Christ what we believe. Maybe belief that isn't of Christ. We lay before him what we do. Our our schedules. Our entire agenda. And how we live 24-7. We lay it all before Jesus. Which means if it doesn't align with him. Then we remove it because it is no longer about our thinking and our way of living, but his. And so we talked about this last week when we talked about the abiding process, what it means to abide in Christ. That there's really this pruning process that's necessary saying, man, God, if that doesn't align with you, would you cut that out of my life? That's something we need to surrender and submit to. Saying, God, is that something that doesn't doesn't bring you glory? Then, Then I need to remove myself from it. And what I said in week three that that I just want to remind you of is that receiving Jesus means that when we surrender ourselves, when we receive Jesus and walk in this life, as he comes to us as leader, we surrender our own leadership. When he comes to us as counselor, we welcome him and his counsel. When he comes to us as authority, we welcome his authority and we surrender our own authority. And when he comes to us as king we welcome his rule over our life because it's no longer us who live, but Christ who lives in us. Because receiving Jesus isn't isn't this coexistence of Jesus when it works and me when I want, but it's, it's the abandonment of our own life for life in Christ. So it's the process of seeking out daily renewal, laying down our own ways for his. So our ideals, our plans, anything that does not Bring him glory. We lay it down. We lay it down before him because the new life is lived, not in darkness, not in the shadows where we're doing what we want, but it's lived in the light. And John reminded us this earlier in 1 John in the first chapter, verse 7. He says about walking in the light. He says it doesn't mean we're walking flawlessly. We're going to struggle through it. We need to be in constant biblical Christian fellowship together where we can confess these things saying, here's where I'm struggling, but not to just stay put and just kind of go, here's where I'm at. And then we we go throughout our week and come back and go, again, here's where I'm at. But, But actual repentance, actual seeking out of reconciliation in our relationship with God. So it means that when we do stumble, when we do sin, the light of Christ causes us to see it. The light exposes what that sin really is, and it causes us to look at it with hate. In a genuine way of saying, that is that is not of Christ. I don't want that. We we begin to hate it. This is why I think there's some times where there's this discontent in our sin. And so we battle the shame and we battle the struggle of our of our flesh and we also battle that that really the genuine nature of rejecting sin is so does God. And so as we're kind of struggling through that, as Christ enters into our lives, exposes the darkness. What happens then is we begin to hate that. We say, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that in my life. We then confess it. It brings joy. It brings peace to us to confess to a brother to a sister in christ and we experience healing through that saying here's what's going on that i need to that i need to walk away from here's what's going on that i need to confess we don't do that that much anymore we have this idea that 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 i need to work this out man if people knew what i was struggling with god forbid they knew that because our relationship would change their idea of me would change. But church, our idea of one another should never change because you were called sinner before life in Christ. So, so we need to understand that, that when we seek out life in Christ, it, it changes our view of things. We begin to see things in ourselves. Man, that's, that's not of God. That doesn't bring glory to God. And, and I hate that. Not that we look at one another and go, man, I hate you. Or I I hate what's going on with you. But we hate that of which is not God. And then we need to confess it to one another. Because living in the new life is is not a solo mission. Remember when Jesus sent out his 11 disciples in Matthew 28. He didn't say, hey, each of you go your separate ways now. And try to do the best you can. He says, walk together in this. Build into people's lives. Make disciples. Confess these things. Teach them all that I have commanded you and move forward with christ and so if we're going to live in the new life lived in christ if we're going to begin to see what is going on in our life that is not bringing glory to god and look at it and and say man i i hate that that needs to be removed that's sin that's darkness it's not of christ we need to confess that to one another we need to confess that to god and we need to begin to move forward with christ fully move forward with Christ. And the third thing that we have overcome, of how we overcome, is by knowing God and being of God. John gives some very encouraging words here, but with a very important truth, that truly knowing God means we have a personal, intimate, and real relationship with him. And we cannot think or or get into the dangerous belief that we can know God without being in relationship with God. Because you can know a lot about someone and not really know them. Like, I I know a lot about different people. That doesn't mean I really know them. I mean, there's a lot of people who really know a lot about our president. They know more bad about how they wouldn't do things. But do you really know him? The person who we have a tendency to just say, well, I would do things different. Do we really know them? Because John's saying here, if you truly are of God, then you know God. Because those go hand in hand. We cannot just have knowledge of God. We have to be in relationship with God. And that is how we are of God. so in these last nine verses that John gives us, there's a lot of content here. But what I really want to pull out is this verbiage that he uses, these, these words together when he says, of God and from God. And he uses these several times. And so he's really rooting his position to the believers that those who know God are of God. Meaning that they have overcome the world and they're not of the world, but they're of God. They're walking in life with Christ and they're of God. Because being Of him means our life is lived in Christ. It's not lived in the world. And being of the world means living for ourselves, living in darkness, and in idolatry, which is the last piece that John gives to the church. And so John John doesn't even explain this towards the end of what idolatry is because the, the church is aware in it. And so when he says, keep yourself from idols, He just ends on that, saying, make this an important piece. Remember, as it's all about Jesus, keep yourself from false idols. So maybe you're you're wondering, what is idolatry? Idolatry is an, an image or a representation of a God, a lowercase God, used as an object of worship. Another definition of idolatry is a person or thing that is greatly admired and greatly loved. And so really here's what idolatry is as we look at scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New, is that idolatry is anything that replaces the one true God and our focus of him. And so idolatry is taking something or even someone and making it a God thing, which then really becomes a bad thing. And this is what we talked about last week. There's, there's sometimes a difference, a lot of times there's a difference between what is good and what is of God. Not always are they the same. And so I think we have some forms of idolatry that we struggle with that are even subtle in our own lives. Where we're taking something, we're taking someone, and we're kind of making it a God thing. But we're really taking control. Because worship is where we're positioning everything before God to bring him glory. Everything, that that we're taking all that before God of ourselves, saying, God, I want to bring you glory. If it doesn't bring you glory, then remove it from me. Because knowing God and being of God means we desire to bring him glory. And so as we look at this, what we need to understand is, you and I, as the children of God, as John tells us earlier, we are the image of God. We are an example of who God is. And the image of God is perfectly reflected in Jesus. Because you and I are not perfect reflections of God, but Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect reflection that we need because no one is more perfect of a worshiper than Jesus. In his whole life being sinless, he was a perfect worshiper. He desired to bring God glory. And we see this when Paul tells the The Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 15, he says, He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so here's what this tells us. God cannot be seen any more clearly than in Jesus. And that is why we walk in him. So that's why we don't look to anything created We don't look to nature, we don't look to animals, we don't look to other people, and we don't look to stuff or to ourselves, but we look to Jesus. Because our God, our perfect God, who loves us perfectly, he gives us Jesus. What we've seen throughout this whole series, we have been given relationship with Jesus, the love of God through Jesus, the perfect reflection of, of God's heart, of who God is, that, he, that Jesus is the perfect example and he was our perfect advocate. So here's what John's reminding us in this closing of his pastoral letter, 1 John, that through Christ Jesus, we have a perfect reflection, a perfect example to not live of the world, but live of God, being of God, and that by which we can know and be of the Father, overcoming the world. That by his love, by his example, and through his son, Jesus, we know and we believe. And through that, what that causes us to do, what that, how that causes us to live, is to walk out from here and to choose to love one another according to Christ. And so John, as he closes his pastoral letter and as he writes earlier, he writes and he says the whole point of him writing is so that his joy may be complete. And what that tells us is that John is already joyful in the believers. He's saying, listen, I'm not writing to you because there's a problem with you. He's saying, I'm writing to you because I'm excited about you. And I want to encourage you. I want you to be fully equipped. Don't get distracted by other things. Don't live according to the world for what is temporary, but live according to what is eternal. That you would love one another based on the perfect example that we have from the Father in Christ Jesus. So by his perfect example, that we wouldn't go out and live according to ourselves, but as, we said, as I said last week, that we would live and love according to Christ and how he loved us let's pray